0: From St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Elaine Cha. For the last two decades, St. Louis's policies for public safety contained a quiet strategy for removing people from areas of the city, even banishing them from entire neighborhoods. The city's government, police, and municipal court have used the practice to target those with mental health issues or who may be homeless. According to experts in law enforcement, it's an extreme use of the law. Joining me in studio to discuss neighborhood orders of protection is Jeremy Kohler, St. Louis-based reporter for ProPublica. (laughs) Jeremy, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: To begin, let's get to the basics. What is a Neighborhood Order of Protection?
1: A Neighborhood Order of Protection is a court order that can be issued either by the circuit court or the municipal court in St. Louis, and uh, it's agreed to by the defendant as part of their plea agreement, and it's an agreement to stay out of an entire area of the city as a condition of their either release or probation uh, on a case. And um, this was used by both the circuit court, which handles felonies and misdemeanors, and the municipal court, which handles infractions and violations of city ordinances, so minor infractions, for many years. Um, But in the last probably five to six years, it's really become uh, uh, entirely used by the municipal court to handle really low-level offenses.
0: Now, is that the case for the way... Such orders are used outside St. Louis.
1: Other areas of the country, I was able to determine, uh, have have either experimented with um, or still currently have um, some method of of uh, banishing people. Um, uh, in Cincinnati, there was an experiment with ex- exclusion zones where anyone with a drug. Uh, conviction was ordered to stay out of the over the Rhine neighborhood in Cincinnati, and in 2003, the U.S. Supreme Court said that this was violated the Constitution. Um, that this was violated people's constitutional right to interstate interstate travel. Um, there are other cities that have exclusion zones, um, but they're like automatic zones set up in the city that it just it becomes part of your uh because it just becomes part of your criminal case that you as a condition of your release okay. you can't enter but in St. Louis it's really tailored to the defendant like and where they have allegedly offended
0: right so it's not just the agreement part of it it is geographically uh, responsive if we might use that term
1: it, it is and in, in St. Louis's areas are quite large uh downtown is uh the area that was Really, by and large, used for you know I don't I don't know want to say the majority, but a great number of these uh, orders, and um, the boundaries were set on, as 14th Street in most cases on the west to the river, and Cass Avenue to Choto on the south. So we're talking about you know 1.2 1.3 square mile area.
0: That's quite an area. So you work now as a reporter for ProPublica, Jeremy, but You've been a journalist here in St. Louis for over 20 years. How did neighborhood orders of protection and the way they're used here come to your attention such that you wrote that December 2nd piece about it?
1: Well, right. I worked for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch from 1998 to last year and joined ProPublica last year. Um, And this year, while investigating a story that I published this summer about private policing in St. Louis, I wrote two stories about how city neighborhoods uh, hire extra police officers from a private policing company that employs off-duty police officers—the same police officers that the city says it doesn't have enough of. And so you have certain areas of the city that are, you know, have, have are chock-a-block with police officers, while well, you have other areas of the city that consultants found have comparatively fewer police officers relative to the rate of crime. Um, And um, so as part of that investigation, I put in a records request to the city. Um, There were uh, at least a dozen police officers uh, in command rank positions in the police department that I knew worked for the private security company. And so I wanted to see any email that they had back and forth with the company just to see what they talk about. And one of the things they talk about is something called Neighborhood Orders of Protection, and I saw, I saw this in emails talking about neighborhood order of protection, NOP. and I, and I thought to myself, what, what is this? I've never heard of something like this before? Um, of course, you, you Google something, you know it's, it's not a, a legal term that I ever ever heard of. I Googled it. Uh, it's really only come up a few times and only in a St. Louis context, not, not anywhere else in the country. And so I thought, what kind of dystopian, Thing that we have going on here that I didn't know about, um, and I covered criminal justice at, uh, f- for several years oh, at the Post Dispatch. Right. So, so I, um, so I just began to dig into neighborhood orders of protection. What is this? You know, it, it just from the sound of it, it's a neighborhood trying to protect themselves from an individual. And so, what, what could cause that to happen?
0: Mm. In the piece that you wrote um, on December second. It says, if you have taken the practice of neighborhood orders of protection to St. Louis' is extreme, and you were just talking about the, the Google searching and sort of figuring out where else does this exist. It does exist in other places in different configurations, so to speak. What is it that is extreme about the way St. Louis utilizes these?
1: yeah I think it's it's used only in a really a few and i I pointed out the the places that have used it in the story um what is extreme about it is the size of the exclusion areas and also um just the arbitrariness i think um for example uh there was one gentleman who was um uh arrested a- outside uh scotch or uh, enterprise center and so he was on the west side of fifteenth fourteenth street. Uh, and yet his exclusion area was had 14th Street as the western boundary of his exclusion area so he was actually arrested not even in the area that he was ultimately excluded from and so it it just um so there's the arbitrariness um and then also just when when you look um i tried to find out as much as i could about the people who were getting um these neighborhood order of pro- orders of protection and, and and what their underlying charges were They were panhandling, they were trespassing, they were, they were, they were infractions that you mostly see um, people rack up when they have no place to go.
0: I'm talking with Jeremy Kohler, a St. Louis-based reporter for ProPublica. His recent story is about how St. Louis effectively banishes people from entire neighborhoods. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio.
1: Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.
0: Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about those who are um, subject to um, these protections of order. Um, and your story describes several cases, including people, or involving people, that is, who were banned from entire neighborhoods, including the Central West End, and you've mentioned downtown. Can you tell us what it's like to be subject to one of these orders?
1: Yes, I focus on the case of Gary Icardi. Uh Gary uh, was uh, a well-known panhandler downtown, um, and he was um, he had a neighborhood order of protection against him downtown in 2012 or 13. I knew because he had he had at least five violations of it, and uh, there was a date in 2017 when uh, there was an officer um, on a quality of life uh, patrol downtown. And uh, a motorist came up and said, "There's some panhandlers outside the dome." And the officer uh, wrote in his report that he uh, approached uh, Gary, and uh, Gary had a sign that said, uh, "Homeless. God God bless. Please help." And as soon as Gary saw the officer, he ran away and said, "I don't want to go. I don't want to go back to jail." And um, and he he was he was arrested for panhandling, and um, he he was booked. Um, and he agreed to a neighborhood order of protection. And then, um, in, in 2018, uh, police officers issued him violations of the neighborhood order of protection downtown just by seeing him 17 times. Uh, as a matter of fact, between July and October of 2018, there were 17 violations. There were two days in which he was given violations twice. Um, just, just because he was seen downtown and, um, Gary is now Gary. A year later, was uh, declared uh, incompetent by, uh, by by a judge. He's now um, he's uh, in the hospital, and um, and so he has a guardian um, who who would not uh, not allow me to to speak with him. Um, but um, but I think Gary is kind of an example of the type of people that these orders were used against.
0: What could you gather from? advocates of, of poor homeless people and those targeted by neighborhood orders of protection in, in cases that are similar to Gary, what do those advocates have to say about this practice?
1: That it doesn't help. That it, The best case scenario is that a person like Gary is gonna go to a different neighborhood. Uh, it's a zero-sum game for the city. Um, you know, if, if someone's complying with the order, but they don't have their life together, um, they're going to be in a different neighborhood of the city and, and they're going to be dealing with the police officers in that neighborhood and potentially getting a neighborhood order of protection from a second neighborhood or a third neighborhood
0: so what does what's the city get out of that
1: <laughs> uh, nothing I think I, I I would I would say this it's really hard to see what the city gets out of it um I think the the what the police get is an automatic uh reason to arrest someone um, the, you know the the crime being just existing in the neighborhood where they've been banned. they don't have to be breaking a window or shoplifting they just have to be there so it's uh it it gives the police officers uh you know automatic reason to to arrest
0: mm-hmm. when you talk with folks critical of neighborhood orders of protection. Who speak with you from an expressly legal perspective? What issues do they
1: raise? Uh, they raise that it it potentially violates the Constitution, violates people's civil rights to to interstate travel, um, and that um, it it that if, if if it were tested and it hasn't been tested, that um, that there would be a a good uh, a good challenge to it.
0: Do you have any sense of why there haven't been any challenges to it thus far?
1: Yeah. Um, ACLU told me that they explored a lawsuit in 2012-13, um, but uh, to pursue a lawsuit, you need a, a client who you know, you can find, um, who's willing to go forward, and, um, uh, and, and, and that's, that's elusive on some of these cases. And so it's, it, it's hard. It, I think it's hard to, to build a case. So what is
0: necessary then is
1: simply not available at this point. I think to to challenge it, you would need a client that has been harmed, and then you would have to, you know, go forward with a lawsuit, and that that client would have to be available for okay. all kinds of depositions and.
0: And in the case of of Gary, as you were speaking, he now has a guardian, and you cannot speak. You as a reporter cannot speak with him. Right. Right. Uh, so, in terms of who's backing these orders. It's a bit of a, a mixed bag, as you found. So, on one hand, there's Kim Gardner, the city's circuit attorney, who took office in 2017 and hasn't banished anyone. That's a change from her predecessor. And on the other hand, the city's municipal court system continued to issue protection orders, which they paused during the pandemic, and all the while, private police forces are using these orders of protection. So. I mean where do things
1: stand right as you mentioned it is paused uh the the administrative judge from the municipal division says that they haven't issued an a neighborhood order of protection since the beginning of the pandemic but that's not because of a policy change in the city it's because there was no in-person court and the process requires a signature requires the person to be there um and um and so the the, the court hasn't it just hasn't had the opportunity to issue a neighborhood order of protection. I did ask, is this is this something that you think the city should do? I mean, the, the city has paused. Maybe the city could walk away from it right now. Um, you know, no one, the city, the mayor's office, the courts, no one has said, no, we're going to stop doing this. The court has said, we're we're actually evaluating, you know, what we're going to do when we reopen to in court proceedings, um, and so. Um, And so we'll see what happens once they open the court, if they continue to do this.
0: So if I'm understanding correctly, then what's happening now is that there isn't anything happening because of a process disruption, not because of any substantive challenge to the policy itself. Correct.
1: But even though they did stop, pause on the, uh, the issuing of neighborhood orders of protection, they were still, uh, the police were still um, citing people for violations of neighborhood orders of protection through the middle of 2021. I got the, the records that, that I used for this story at the end of 2021. So the, the, the violations continued throughout the pandemic up, and up almost into the point where I received the records from the city. The Board of Aldermen created neighborhood orders of protection in, t- in 2003. This is a city ordinance that's being enforced um and uh the the new president of the board Megan Green says that she was aware of neighborhood orders of protection she she had received complaints about them from advocates for the homeless um and she thought that this was this would be something that her office might look at in terms of uh revisiting or or possibly revoking the ordinance
0: so very quickly to to sort of i guess give us a look at what questions exist? Is there maybe one question that you can describe very succinctly that was left unanswered?
1: Yes, and that is did anyone ever study this? Did it work? did it Did it achieve the goals that the city set out to do when they passed this ordinance? Um, there's really no evidence, you know when you when you cite someone seventeen times in in six weeks, on the same ordinance, it's pretty good evidence that it's not working. So at at one point was there any did anyone put their heads together and say, let's reevaluate what we're doing here? Is is this something we want to keep doing? with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. This episode here.
0: was produced by Alex Hoyer and Our Danny Wisentowski. Our podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group